This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Time Cop, episodes three and four. This paper hasn't even been invented yet. It's from the future, our future. And whoever used it wanted to make sure it survived the trip back to 1956. 1957 picture of Rita, the DVD. This guy obviously wanted Logan to know he's there. Does this mean we have more than one stalker after Rita Lake? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast dropping an anvil on retro sci-fi television. (laughs) I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Before I spill the beans, let me see the bread. (laughs) Very authentic dialogue, huh? All of this is very true to the time periods they're coming from. Someone definitely sat in front of the subliminator before they wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Um, it's it's a funny point about the this show in, in particular is that, and maybe you don't agree with me, there is a sort of lack of specificity that I think, I know this show didn't have a long run, but I think maybe they didn't look at it in terms of a long run because it's an odd comment to make, but it almost feels like they're going to run out of time periods very quickly <laughs> because of that lack of specificity. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, because they go, I'm going back to 1926, but it doesn't, feel like 1926 it feels like an approximation of the 1920s maybe 1930s you're like okay well you can't go back to any time around there now because you've kind of done it or we're going back to the whatever it might be it's it's so non-specific that i feel like they would start feeling like they're doubling up on each other very quickly this shows well it's not very good <laughs> i mean maybe that's that's how you sum it up maybe well before we begin jordan i thought we'd talk about uh the person created with, uh, I believe it's creating Time Cop for television at the beginning of the show, Mark mm-hmm. Verheden. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's also, of course, a uh, noted comic and film writer as well. Yeah, he's a bigwig. You know what? He reminds me a bit of, and I'm going to forget the guy's name, but you know, the Batman Begins co-writer who we've dealt with so often. Uh, Goyer? Goyer. He, like, David Goyer. His resume felt very Goyer-esque to me. And in some ways, I'm, right. I'm kind of partial to thinking this guy might actually be better than Goyer. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing with David Goyer is the longer time went on, you keep you started going, he may actually not be very good. <laughs> I mean, when we've encountered him, we've seen him make some pretty bad work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Granted, that's what we mostly encounter, but uh, still. Yeah. But what, what is um old, uh, what's his name? Kevin... Mark Verheiden. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what has he been doing? Well, I kind of have written down kind of all of the franchises he's been involved with over the course mm-hmm. of his career, and uh, it is extensive. Okay. Um, he's written for both Alien and Predator on the comic side. Right, right. For Dark Horse, I think it was. He's been involved in Superman, both writing comics and writing for Smallville, the television show. Mm. By the way, I've never seen him as a comic book writer. I, I'm sure he's done all these things, but I think he just never wrote anything that I was particularly reading at the time. I think it must be the case because he's done a lot of stuff. He's actually credited as one of the writers for the film, The Mask. So he he wrote an early mm. draft of the script that the I believe it's a story by credit he got. But so involved with The Mask with Jim Carrey. Right. He wrote an unproduced screenplay for the WB for Teen Titans, a, fe- mm. a feature film for Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. He uh, has been involved with the Evil Dead franchise. He wrote the really? comics for it, wrote p- for the TV show Ash vs. the Evil Dead, 
And uh, he's even written like a Bruce show. Campbell movie. Wow. He wrote for the TV show Constantine. Okay. He uh, wrote for the Netflix series Daredevil. Wow. So you know what? You know what you probably can get from this? He's a, um, if not, this is going to sound terrible. Maybe like, if not terribly talented writer, a very um, competent, a very probably good person to have in a room. He's probably uh, uh, very reliable, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm sure if he's necessarily a bad writer. Like, the, some of these shows he's worked on are, you know, fairly successful properties that are... Well, it might it might also just be a thing where he's just... He's good, and he just will take anything. He's like, hey, this is not a very good show. Well, I'll, I'll write an episode of it. He's all, I've got so many more, Jordan. I haven't even... St- I haven't oh, got, okay. There's so many more. All your favorites are here. He wrote for uh, Caprica, the Battlestar Galactica spinoff. All right, yeah. I never watched that. Uh, well, it's good. we haven't watched it for the podcast yet, that's why. Right. Um, he was a writer on that TV show Heroes, the superhero yeah. show. Uh-huh. He was a writer for Falling Skies, the science fiction show. Right, yeah. Out in Vancouver. He's the showrunner of the new Swamp Thing series. Oh, Swamp Thing. Yeah, I watched an episode of that. Remember, we were, that's on our list. And uh, important to us, Jordan, he wrote two episodes of Freaky Links. <laughs> Seems like a lot of people wrote on Freaky Links. You know which episode? I We haven't watched both of those because we didn't watch so few of Freaky Links, but we did watch one of his episodes. It was the final episode, The Final Word. Oh, yeah. The, like, pseudo-documentary type episode. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I le- I'm leaning toward the fact that he might actually be kind of an interesting writer. and He probably is. When I was looking at him and this show, because we were talking about just kind of that question of just like, you know, it's an odd show in that, like, you know, I think you can easily view it as not for you. Uh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. broad. It's pretty, like, dumb. But at the same time, it's not that it's necessarily badly written. It's written exactly the way it seems to be meant to be written, like, fast I would, I would fun. agree. Yeah, and it's it knows what it is. It's something we've said time and time again with a lot of these shows where you watch a show and you go, I don't know what they're trying to get across. This show knows exactly what it is. And for better or worse, is just like, here you go, guys. Well, one of the quotes from this guy about this show was, in retrospect, he wishes it could have been like a bit darker, a bit grittier, a bit more like informed. But he's like, but we were given the task of writing an 8 p.m. show which meant, which I knew meant it was family hour, so I needed a broad, approachable show for the family. And I'm just like, oh, this guy got an assignment, understood the assignment, and executed the assignment weirdly perfectly, for, but also right. to make a show that, you know, maybe it's not very well, good. Well, no, but you're probably right. Executed the assignment, but unfortunately the assignment was not a very good one. Yeah, I mean, he was given the task of writing the show, and he did. He did it perfectly. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, a weird question. Do you think... Look, this is no big secret. This is not a great show. I don't think either of us are going to give these super high scores unless something hilarious happens along the way that bumps it up. Do you think the 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 challenge of this show or the problem is the writing, or do you think it's the performances? Like, do you think the cast was well, you know, cast? Do you think the 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 actual overall idea of the show? Like, I'm I'm not sure what it is that's like makes it so like. Bleh. I mean, I feel like. It was brought forward for the for the television for the network, and it's like what we want is an action show that like falls into that early time slot. And like if you watch this, it's not that dissimilar to like VIP with Pamela Anderson or like right. any of these shows yeah. from the like mid '90s that were just like broad action shows 
they move at a quick clip the plot doesn't need to make a ton of sense and you basically want like a pretty wisecracking person in your sort of lead role like i it just feels like a perfect approximation of a like action show of this time period (laughs) Right, right. I do have to say, though, it feels like the lead, t- Ted King, I think his name is, he does feel like a soup, a soap opera star. Mm. Doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's like, I think for the most part, the two leads, him and, and um, Hemmings, uh, yeah. both both feel like they would be as appropriate in an episode of Charmed as they would in a soap opera. Right, right. It's It's a very, I think it's capturing a very specific period of time and is really condensing the tropes of that time down. Like, it's science fiction in broad strokes only, but that's because it's just like we're not getting bogged down in that kind of stuff. This is an action show. We're gonna have a fun action sequence every five minutes, and it's just like pow, pow, right. pow. Right. Don't get bogged down. Let's keep going. I think you're actually you nailed it when earlier you said VIP. I think that is the tone and the uh, the level of, uh, for lack of a better term, lack of maturity that they're looking for. It's like we're not trying to do anything fancy here we're just trying to entertain you for 45 minutes i'm sure if we could pinpoint it there must be a successful action show before this period that everyone is emulating that is this thing it's like pretty people lots of like kind of lots of fast action not a lot of like thought yeah and i can't figure out what that show was but it feels like there's a period of shows here that are all trying to emulate or capture something, and this falls perfectly into that category. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I'll tell you what the show is not. It's not Time Cop. All right, Jordan. Are you ready to talk about the uh, third episode? Yeah. Here is the IMDb summary for episode three, Stalker. Logan, bracket T.W. King, end bracket, <laughs> is sent back to 1956 to prevent a stalker from killing an actress whose future son will be the 44th president of the United States. <laughs> Obama. It's Obama's mom. It's all about Obama's mom this episode. <laughs> so, hey, I got a question before we start, Luke, and you may not have the answer to this. I- I'm confused a little bit about the time travel in the show. Okay, <laughs> go on. And what I'm not sure of is, do you think the time cops or anyone else travel th- traveling through time, are they immune to the changes that they may be creating? Th- thus, let's say it's, it's uh, what's the lead character's name? Johnny Fontaine. What's Logan. His name? Jack Logan. Jack Logan goes back in time. Let's say he accidentally uh, pushes someone and they fall off a cliff and they die. And that person was supposed to be important because of blah, blah, blah. Does he then go back to the future and the future is changed, but he's exactly the same? Or is there the chance that what he may do may actually alter him? Like he may die because of something happened and then his mother was never born or sort of thing. Does that make sense? That question? Yes, and I believe the answer to that question is yes, they are affected by the time change. And I, we can, I can only say that for certain because if you'll recall in the previous episode, the uh, younger version of the man got a scar on his face or got a cut on his face and the older version got right. a scar. Right, right, okay. Implying that uh, there's cause and effect in this in this time travel. Okay, that makes, that makes problems with this show. But anyway. <laughs> As we've established, Jordan, the timeline is quite flexible. You can do a <laughs> yeah, lot without right. breaking it. Yeah. Anyways, that's neither here nor there because we're in 1956 Hollywood. I know. We're really back in the 50s. Uh, an actress, Rita Lake, is hanging out with a mob bag man, Johnny the Chin. Yeah. By the way, I don't know why this didn't take place in the 30s because the actual plot and thing that they're trying to do makes much more sense in the 30s if they're doing like a film noir type thing because this it's, it's the 50s. It should be in the 30s. Anyways. 
<laughs> I mean, I think for this show, they don't have a lot of time. They're not doing a lot of research. For most of these shows, they're just like, you've seen a movie about old Hollywood. Just use all those tropes. Yeah, yeah that's basically what it is. And it's like everyone's sort of wearing clothes that kind of are 1950s, but are also sort of anachronistic. <laughs> um, Johnny the Chin wants to date actress Rita, hey, uh, Rita Lake, but she yeah. mostly just wants to ride home from, uh, from uh, the restaurant. That's right. Yeah. Um, and after he drops her off, a mysterious man appears from the bushes. Uh, he's clearly from the future, but he's posing as a paparazzi, and he wants to take a photo of old Johnny Chin's. But what he does is he scans Johnny Chin's face and then, like, steals his face and becomes him. So this, this led me to believe, by the way, Luke, that this takes place in the Tech War universe because we have the exact same technology, which is a morph mask. Um, <laughs> and uh, this guy's actually from the from tech war time period but yes i think that's what he needs to do he scans a face and then he can have their face now i don't know if this is always used to its greatest effect or why he needs to do this all the time but but how did he make like his like it looked like he made his his cigarette zap himself didn't it well this is what happens after he steals the man's face the man turns around to light a cigarette with his uh, in-car lighter and he gets electrocuted what we learn later jordan and you may have missed it is that there's a microchip inside of that. Right. Wire. Oh, right. That's so right. So he's killed yes, yes. by a microchip electricity. <laughs> so he planted that earlier in the car. Yes, this is a long. This man, <laughs> this stalker, has a long plan. He was like, I know they're going to get in a car. Um, I'm going to somehow break in to where the car is parked, change this, let them go through their whole drive home, then get home, then have their interaction. I know he's going to be left alone because she's going to rebuff him. Then that's when I'll electrocute him. Yeah, that's when I'll steal his face and electrocute him. Yeah. Yeah, that's so uh, in 2007, this, of course, sets off a tiny time ripple uh, because Johnny the Chin wasn't supposed to die for two more weeks. It's always I always like that they, they give themselves this out as if it's a real out, which is, oh, it's OK. You've killed a character because he was going to die anyway. But they're like, it was in a little bit of time. I'm like, but there's two weeks. There's two weeks of like a, of an effect that you're just missing. But they're like, no, no, no. Well, okay. in two weeks, he was supposed to die taking a bullet, protecting Rita Lake from a stalker. That's and right. uh, it's very funny because, uh, to your point here, when he, when they find this out, the chief of the time cops is just like, I don't see the big deal. I'm not going to commit any resources to this. I don't see what the problem is. Yeah. And then someone has to point out, it's like, oh, well, that, you know, that actress, she's the mother of the 44th president of the United States. And he's like, oh, well, I guess we should do something. But I'm like, <laughs> wouldn't you know? <laughs> that if a, a famous actress yeah. was also a very recent president's mother, wouldn't you know that like they were related? Well, you would think right away if like her name is what Rita Lake, I think it is. Mm -hmm. You would think as soon as you heard her name, you'd be like, oh, the president's mother, that famous actress who ended up becoming like uh, political royalty. Yeah, but he's just like, mm, whatever. Well, it's very funny. But of course, that's why they're going to take care of it because you can't risk the 44th president. I'll also note, Jordan, this is a huge side tangent. But I was trying to, like, timeline this out in my head. Because if we're assuming they're like, we have to save her because she's the 44th president. And, and you know, the chief doesn't immediately recognize it. So it seems like to me in the in the world of time, of time Cop, the 44th president is a former president, right? It I would agree it seemed that way. But it, it's actually closer to our time period in real life. Well, in reality, the 44th president, Barack Obama, was elected in 2009, which is three years after Time Cop is set. Mm -hmm. But that's not impossible. So I was trying to do the math on it. So... I think the show the show is assuming that since since it was written in like Bill Clinton's first term, I think it's assuming Bill Clinton gets one term. Yeah. And then the following president, let's say George Bush Jr., also gets one term. 
Yeah. And then the following president, the 44, Barack Obama, also gets one term. So they're on the 45th president in 2007. Right. So like, they're on the 45th president, but they can't barely remember who the previous president was. Yeah, yeah. It's just very funny to me that the writers are like, I think all the next few presidents, they're all going to be one terms. We're going to have like a string of one term presidents. <laughs> <laughs> what did they name? Uh, what was the name of the new president of the their, their 44th president? Uh, did they name him? I, I missed it if they did. Yeah, they did. I didn't catch it either. It was not very evocative. I'm sure it was no. Johnny Whitebread. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, there was another little bit here that I don't know if you've caught, but uh, they give a little bit of backstory about our hero, Logan. And Jordan, it's another, it's more evidence in my theory that you and Logan are the same person. <laughs> what was it? I don't remember. They're talking he about- He has trouble the- sleeping? They're talking about the backstory, but like about like Logan. There's a weird throwaway line about his backstory, but it's exactly the same as your backstory. Uh, Jack Logan was also dumped just before senior prom. (laughs) You and Jack are the same person, Jake. Uh, Jake, that's okay. That is true. (laughs) Thanks, Luke. Thanks for putting that in the podcast. Long work hours. (laughs) Yeah, and and dumped horribly just before prom. Yeah, Uh, follows your and you all follow your instincts. Yeah, I can I can tell my prom story off. Uh, <laughs> we'll make that a bonus episode. <laughs> I think in an er- I th- the only reason I know the story is because you teased it in a podcast. And we talked about it. Oh, did I about the ro- the the spinning floor? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Jordan, listen or and listener, you can't see this, but Jordan currently is wearing a very ja- Jake Logan shirt. <laughs> I am. But I, it's because I'm going to a pool party. <laughs> So I think, he doesn't go to a pool party. I think I think Jordan and Jake Logan are pretty close to the same person. We might be. He has much nicer teeth. This guy has distractingly perfect white teeth. Don't you find that? <laughs> That's why I think he looks like a, a, a what do you call it? A soap opera star. I'm like, look at his teeth. He looks like a Crest commercial. We should, we should look at his uh, credits at some point. He probably did do some soaps. He probably did. He's he's just got that face. Um. Oh, so there's gonna be a scene coming up here, Luke, where we're now gonna go. I think we go to. Is it her by herself in her home, old old Rita Lake? Is well, she getting attacked now? No, no, it's quite a ways away because Logan's oh. got to go back in time. He's got to oh, jump that's in right. the time I'm sorry. pod. And this time when he goes, you know, we know he gets in a jet a jet cockpit, Ugh. shoots through a wall, and up till this now this was seems, so dumb. He seems this to have so fallen dumb. out of a place up till now. This time he just steps out of a mirror in a women's changing room while the lady's changing. And here's I my my note was why is this happening? What's the point of this scene? It's not funny at all. It's like he comes out and, he, and she's like, what's that? And he's like, I love your dress. Ain't I, ain't I a stinker? And then he like <laughs> leaves. I don't get it. Just he's, he's so suave. He's always stepping out of places. I like that he comes out of a mirror for some reason now. Yeah. Um, but, but are they consistent with, did he come out wearing the clothing? This time, no. When he steps out of the mirror, he asks her, where's That's the right. men's department? <laughs> Isn't it funny, though, that this show, similar to Autobahn, that's like a point they have to make sure they get. Like, people are people need to know how they how this character gets the appropriate clothing. I'm like, who cares? Who I mean, cares? it is funny, and I'll skip over this next episode, but in the next episode, he arrives, and he steals a suit off of a corpse at a funeral home parlor is how he gets clothes. That was a question, because I was like, that could be what they were implying, but it was. It was. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but my I thought that suits you put on a corpse i thought you cut open the back you do you slide over so his whole back end is hanging out the whole episode right yeah yeah you're like uh you smell like embalming fluid <laughs> it's such an odd thing like i get that they thought it would be a fun piece of 
game like a fun and games for them to do where he goes and has to find new clothes every time but it they don't seem to do it really and be like if you're traveling you know where you're headed you would just dress that way before you left yeah well though because they made a comment in the first episode that he had excuse me that he had to be wearing the leather outfit as if oh. it was part of the time travel procedure but maybe oh. i maybe i'm misreading it Maybe, but then they sent that cop back, and he was just dressed in his normal clothes. That's true. Yeah, that does break the theory. Although, this is time cop, so anything is possible because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It's true. At any rate, uh, Jack, Jack Logan, Jake Logan, whatever his name is, he heads straight to the crime scene where he met, bumps into Dr. No, or Doctor Detective Nolte, who's mm-hmm. investigating the death of Johnny Chin. Uh, Logan, of course, finds the microchip immediately and knows it's a future death. And then he bumps into Rita Lake, and they have a real meet cute. Which uh, I will. I'm gonna give the show one thing. I thought this meet cute, well, stupid, had one funny bit in it, where she offers him a smoke, and he wants to look cool, but he doesn't yeah. know how to smoke. And I thought that was very funny. I agreed. I thought what my point of it was. This is like actually kind of funny scene that they don't either don't lean into or don't know really what to do with it because it does. I think it could have been a lot better than what it is. Because you're right, it's a kind of funny thing. He's trying, but and I actually thought. Um, the performer did a good job because he held the cigarette funny and he clearly didn't know what to do with it. And it just looked very awkward. And I was like, this is well done, but they just sort of like, I don't know. This is a show where like, I think they should lean into the fish in the water, fish out of the water sort of thing, maybe a little bit more because they, but they want to have both. They want to have that scene, but they also make sure he looks cool all the time. But it's like either have him be like that guy who doesn't care about research. And he just, he kind of like flails his way through it or have him, or have him actually have the information and, and be able to smoothlessly, seamlessly move his way through these time periods. But they're just like, I don't know, one time it'd be funny if he didn't know to smoke. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a brief reveal of something that was like, I'm like, oh, this is a funny idea that you could do more of. But uh, I will only get this one blip this one time. Let me mention one thing about a scene we just kind of jumped over, which is it's not important because none of these scenes are important. But when he meets Detective whatever name is. Nope. Um, he he. There's a quick scene where he like talks his way into this like sleazy motel because that's where he thinks. Oh, that's still coming up, my friend. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, okay, jeez. Because he has to get to sleazy motel by finding a matchbook on the ground by the car. That's right. I'm sorry, I forgot that that was a that was a clue. <laughs> a classic clue, Jordan. Yeah. That somehow the police overlooked. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really matter. You're right. He goes to this dive bar. He or dive bar. This dive hotel. Flips through the guest registry, sees that Barry Manilow checked in yesterday. <laughs> and he's like, no way, the big star like Barry Manilow. Mandy, there's no way this guy <laughs> this guy checked in. He goes here's the bre- thing. So he he like he sweet talks kind of like not sweet talks, but he like charms his way past the guy, the the guy who's front desk running the front desk. But then he goes up so it's this is a hotel though, right? Yes. But like how long has whoever this suspect has been living here in a this day. hotel? Because the walls are plastered, like in that sort of thing you've seen a million times in movies and TV of like, there's a stalker or a hitman or something. And so they've, for whatever reason, they need like a vision wall and they have like their pictures all over and it's all the pictures of uh, Rita. But I was like, did he just check in, open his suitcase, pull out all his clippings, put them up on the wall? And then he's like, see you later. I'm, I'm out of here now. Apparently this future man came, hung these all up. And then he also, he also set up his mini disc DVD player to watch a movie. Oh, didn't you love the mini disc player? So the mini disc player is essentially like, it actually looks more like like a like a discman or something like that. Yes. Um, but the but the CDs or DVDs in the future are squares. 
and I loved it. That's yeah. a point right there. I loved it, it. It was it was a funny little bit. And uh, so he scoops that up, and he notices one of the pieces on the wall, one of the magazines that they've cut out of Rita's on the wall, is actually from the next year. So it's from also, I guess, from the future. So he takes that off the wall as well. Right. And, you know, on his way out the door of this place, he bumps into Detective Nolte, I assume doing his job and looking into a, a clue he found. Yeah. And it's very funny. Yeah, there's, there, there's a funny thing with this Detective Nolte because he's always kind of around and he seems like he's always getting irritated at, at uh, Jack. Or, what is his name? Is it Jack or Jake? Jake. It's Jake. Jake. Um, but uh, it's Joe. No, it's Jack. It's Jack Logan. No, it's Jake Logan. It's Jack Logan. Mm. Mm. Hold on. Confirming. Jack Logan. That's how generic this is, Luke. We, be, we, we can't even remember the main character's name. We're mixing him up with Jake Cardigan. Oh, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Sorry, anyway. everyone. It's Jack. That's how much we love this show. <laughs> Anyways, but the cop doesn't seem to be doing anything. You would think it'd be kind of like they would have not two plot lines uh, running simultaneously, but two sort of investigations that sort of come together. You know, the cop is doing his thing and Jack is doing his thing. But that's not really what this is. He just kind of shows up and you're like, why is this cop kind of weird? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an odd thing. And I, what I like is J- Jack Logan is immediately like, hey, cop, let me show you the stalker's room I found, which I thought was very funny of him to do. It'd uh, be like, check out this crime scene I found. Very suspicious. But even when he does, the uh, cop comes in and he looks around. He's just like, eh, no crime and putting photos of a lady up here all creepily. <laughs> well, there's okay, – can we – should we talk about what the turn? Can we talk about what this the the final turn is going to be? You might as well. Okay. So what you're going to find out in this episode, um, and if you rewatch it, it would be quite quite clear. Is the cop is actually the stalker, which is not the worst turn ever. But again, I just don't know if it works. It's one of those things that are like, wouldn't it be crazy if it was actually the cop? And then you go, yeah, that would be crazy. Does anything before make sense? And you're like, I don't know, because it's not like he is trying to really stop jack in any sort of meaningful way yes i mean here's what it's kind of i think this is supposed to be the idea of this subplot and we can talk about why it gets confused later but what we'll come to learn by the you know the chief and the historian in 2007 will like put the clues together because that's all they have the chance to do in 2007 Mm -hmm. but what they'll figure out is that every single one uh, Rita Lake's boyfriends has been murdered in the past. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think they said something like four or five. Like it was. It wasn't just like two in this horrible coincidence. It's like it's a quite a few. Several. And every single murdered boyfriend, the crime was investigated by Detective Nolte, and yeah. it's always blamed on like mob-related activities. Mm-hmm. But when they look into the deaths, they realize, oh, every single one of them was also killed by a bullet. From a police issued service revolver. <laughs> I know. It's like when you look at it, you're like, well, this this seems like we could figure this case out real, real quick. Yes. So that's why he's not particularly upset by finding this additional stalkers involved. Because he's like, well, I'm the, I'm the real stalker. So who cares about this new this new guy who just showed up? Yeah, exactly. But it also makes when, it confusing. At first, yeah, well, I was going to say, because I thought at first, when I you know, watched it, then you find this reveal at the end, I was like, wait a minute, was that his plastered wall? I was like, oh, no, it was the other guy's plastered wall. Yes, it makes it confusing because now there's also, there's a stalker from the correct time period, but there's also a stalker from the future. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, when Logan left that crime scene, he took the magazine that was from next year so that they wouldn't find a future thing, and he takes a DVD player. And in one of the pieces of the show that I actually thought was like, you know, 
one of the better uses of time travel they've done. He goes to a bank, he gets a security deposit box, he puts it all in the security deposit box, and that's how they get the the, the evidence in two thousand seven. Which is fine. I think that's a fine technique. I, I actually, you know what? There's we we probably didn't talk about this much more in the uh, very much in the previous podcast. I think the idea of them sort of sending stuff to the future, like sort of like um, what would end up being like old antique and types type sort of stuff or the idea of when they kind of occasionally cut to the future that they're sort of investigating and seeing things change like newspapers and stuff i think there's a cool idea there they just don't really do it's anything not, with it and yeah. and, the, and there's something not quite right and the scenes are so fast that it's just like oh yeah we have these characters and they go hey look a newspaper anyways back to it and you're like well there's something kind of cool here that of like maybe like them also piecing together stuff and they can try to send information back to back to the past almost like in a way when we watched sleepwalkers there was a similar sort of idea of people going into this dream state and there was someone watching the dream state and they were sending information back and forth that was done with a silly little hand module type thing um but it's the same sort of idea and it's it also kind of doesn't work I mean, it's an interesting rule they haven't quite landed. Because, like, yeah, this is the case. Maybe puts, that's what it is. He puts it in the security deposit box and then takes out a personal ad that's a coded message to the future which tells them where to go get the security box. And so they get all this stuff. They realize, uh-oh, there's someone from the future. Now in the past, they're also tracking. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is they're like, oh, that magazine cover of Rita Lake was actually a reprint. And they're like, check this out. And they try to light it on fire that's and right. they crumple it into a ball. And then there's like... Once it's crumpled, a CGI paper uncrumples itself back to flat. And they're like, it's from a technology of future paper that we don't even have yet. I love that. I have to say, that stuff is, I wish they had more of that because the show is sort of inherently silly. So why not lean into the silliness? Like the little square DVD and the paper that for some reason in the future, I love the idea of not that we're getting rid of paper. We're just like, let's make it unburnable and uncrumplable. Yeah, you can't crumple that paper throw it out anymore. Not in the future. <laughs> like, why not? Do more of that. That's that's way more fun. You're gonna have a silly show anyway. Back in 1956, Logan. Maybe maybe 1956. It could be any. It could be any time period. But 1940 and 1960. This is the moment you were thinking of, and I think you thought it was much earlier in the show. Uh, Rita Lake comes home to her place. Waiting inside is the future <laughs> stalker in Johnny Chin's face. Yeah, so he, I have a couple questions about this, and one is maybe not that funny, but what? So we we know it's this future guy, and mm-hmm. he wants to kill Rita. So why not just kill her right now instead of setting up a sort of nineteen fifties uh, Batman esque uh, uh, Silver Age way to kill her instead of like you know what I mean going through this whole like uh, super villain way of doing it? Why not just kill her right now? That's the first question, and the second question is why did he need to have old that other guy's face because i understood if it was a way to get through security or something but he's just there and then the third thing what it kind of seems like he's doing is not killing her and it's gonna be terrible but doesn't it seem like he's like trying to sexually assault her uh yeah that certainly is a weird undertone of this right it's it's just like i was just like oh this is awful because that's that wasn't the like it wasn't like um this was a uh uh um obsession that was driven uh through sexuality or through this um uh sexual drive you know it it just was like 
it's an obsession. So I didn't I didn't understand why they they framed it and shot it that way. Well, I think uh, I mean this is not to excuse it, but I think at this point in the plot we don't really know what Future Stalker wants. So maybe I think they want us to like they're trying to sell us that fear maybe a little bit. Right. Which, but it was gross. It, it was gross. Yeah. yeah. It was gross either way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we but I'm, I'm glad go we back both to your other point that. is. What is the point of stealing his face? And I can't, yeah. I can't tell you because in this world now, everyone <laughs> thinks Johnny the Chin is dead. So there's no I know. use in having his face. And even when he yeah. shows up to like menace her in her home, all it does is she's like, I thought you were dead. And he's just like, oh, Johnny the well, Chin's face. You're right. And and there's, there's going to be a few more of these scenes. And there's one of them that I think works pretty well later, although the overall – the reason people are doing stuff doesn't. I think the actual like fooling someone with a face works well. But then there's gonna be a scene later on, and I know I'm jumping around, but it doesn't really matter. There's gonna be a scene later on where we we meet a villain guy, time traveler, and he calls someone on the phone, and he just pretends to use someone else's voice. Yes. And fo- and fools her. But what I didn't understand is why not use the morph mask, because it, it apparently changes your voice too. So why not do that as opposed to like if I called you and pretended I was your boss and I could have a technology that would 100% sound like that person, great. Okay, that's an effective uh, ruse. But if I just do it, hey there, Luke, I need you to come into work tomorrow. It's like you'd be like, why are you doing a funny voice? <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense. You introduced the technology in this episode. I don't know. I mean, maybe he made a morph mask of her boss, wore it for the phone call. He didn't because we see him. That's we see true. him on the I phone call. Too. Anyways, but yes, they have this – I actually think it's a cool technology. The idea that you can uh, um, copy someone so perfectly that you're fooling everyone and there's like this kind of fun um, element of you don't know who to trust, but that's not what this show wants to be doing. It's very funny and it's like a great – I think it's a great thing that Time Cop does is that it just like introduces a thing that you think is going to be very important – and like it sort of seems like it is for a hot second, and then it just goes away and never talks about it. <laughs> it again. just goes away, yeah. But uh, Rita's saved because Jack Logan shows up, interrupts, gets in a big fight with the future stalker. Future how stalker did runs how did away. Jack get in? By the way, he just busted through a door. He was gonna he was gonna do that either way. He was just gonna walk into her home. <laughs> yeah. And when the future stalker runs away, he pulls off his fake mask, and it's revealed that it's Jack's arch nemesis from episode one. Ian Pasco, he's back, the the okay. greatest killer of all time. <laughs> okay, there's a, there's a couple things. Uh, I th- I feel like I don't, I can't remember who the actor is. I feel like he's doing the best that he can with the material, and he's trying to bring some sort of, um, uh, not manic energy, but something a little off kilter is what he's kind of choosing. Like the guy's a little bit quirky and weird, and it's okay. But didn't it feel like we should have waited a few episodes? before we brought him back because it was like he was in episode one then not in episode two now he's back in episode three and i was just like oh i thought we were going to have other kind of time crimes in a slightly different way that we were going to deal with i was also surprised they went back to this continuity so quickly but i guess that's what they're doing i'm not i'm not sure either i i will agree though the actor's making some strong choices which i appreciate him doing yes i just don't know what it what exactly it is well i think someone told him you're the Hannibal Lecter of Time Cop. <laughs> is that what you think it is? He's really chewing the scenery every yeah. moment he gets the chance to. Yeah. There's uh, I, there's a sort of – it reminds me a little bit of um, – do you remember the guy when we watched um, that X-Men type show and old uh, um, 
Remember what was that X Men show called? We watched. Mm, remember First it was class. them. Yeah, no, no, whatever. That was, that was and, and that guy was doing like that almost Jim Carrey esque impersonation. It's like yes, a light yes. version of that. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's an odd show. But I, I, I here's the thing. I think the actor was told something, and he's just like really leaning into it as hard as he can. I think so too. Again, another guy who like might feel more at home in a soap opera. Right. Anyway, the point to this is they have a fight, and uh, the guy knocks Jack down. I think he, they push over a couch or something, and he gets away. And by the way, on, on my count so far, is Jack has pretty much lost every single fight. He's like the <laughs> wharf of this show. But um, uh, anyways, it, I like that the guy runs away, and then he just like hides behind a bush to take off his morph mask. And then he like gets away. And there's a scene that came up right after this, which is we kind of go to commercial, and then we come back, and we come back with, for whatever reason— Lucille Ball and Marilyn Monroe are talking as they walk down to a Just studio a lot. Just chit chat through the studio. And I guess the point is, my note was Hollywood, because I guess that's what you're supposed to get. Well, no, what you're supposed to get, Jordan, is every episode there needs to be someone famous from the past you recognize, and we haven't had that yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Because in this one, they won't interact with anyone famous. They're like, we're but we're missing it. We need to show someone <laughs> that people know from the time period. And we're like, what if Marilyn Monroe? And Lucille Ball were chatting about her marriage. Yeah. Anyway, so that that happens. Jen, you made a good point a second ago. I'm just going to go back to you really quickly. Jack Logan has never won a fight? I don't think so. Man, put that in the column of Jordan and Jack have a lot in common. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no. I think it's been well established. Um, I can talk my way to most of those things. (laughs) Remember, remember the I'll just say, remember the wedding we went to recently. I talked my way out of getting beaten up at that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll put that as a maybe on the category. <laughs> but yes, I I apparently am me and Jack Logan, or as we call him Jake Logan. We're very similar people. <laughs> anyway, but you're right. What we're seeing is Logan's taking Rita to the studio so she he can keep an eye on her as he, she's shooting her new film. Mm-hmm. When he gets there, he's not. He sees a paparazzi he met earlier. The guy waves him over and is like, Logan, I've got a great tip for you about about her stalker. Uh, meet me at the Starlight Bowl at midnight, which is exactly what happened in The Misfits of Science. It was, wasn't it? Someone was like, meet me at the Starlight Bowl <laughs> at midnight. And they, go, and they go to a bowling alley. I was blown away. That's funny. But you're right. This is Logan goes, meets this paparazzi guy, pays him a wad of cash, which I don't know where he got that wad of cash from to pay for this tip. But well, again, you would think there would be a scene like, or almost like a suit up scene. Every time they're going to go into the past, they'd be like, "Here's your shirt. Here's a bunch of cash. Here's some information you need before you go." And they kind of hinted at the first episode with the what was the machine called that gives you the subliminator. Right. But they've never really gone back to that. They're sort of like, we've established it. Boom. That's what happens. But you you think there'd be that scene where, like, not that the audience is going, how does he have cash? But it's just, it would be as useful as some of these silly scenes they do where they're like, hey, Jack changed newspaper. Anyways, it's like, you're, you're wasting time anyway. They they There's no time on the show to explain anything. So it's just so funny. It doesn't stand up to any scrutiny as a result. I was thinking too, I'm like, wouldn't it make sense also that if they're t- wouldn't the time cops just have a safe house in every era, and then you could just go get like a wad of cash out? That's actually a really good idea. That would be that would be fun. Whereas, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. That would be a better show, Luke. That would be a better show, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the paparazzi is immediately shot and killed with a laser gun before he can tell the uh, tell Logan about who's going to kill Rita and who's shot him. But Ian Pascoe's arrived, and he's just toting around that giant laser shotgun he always has. 
Yeah, and he's just like blowing everything apart. And it and it's it's shot that not great action way that TV from this time period is shot. But but it's a fun kind of some somewhat fun thing where he's shooting bowling balls and stuff. And then Jack is kind of runs down the uh, lane and hides behind the whatever that mechanism is that picks up the uh, yeah yeah he, the d- bowling he literally pins. dives through all the bowling pins in a strike motion. It's it's dumb, but actually it was one of the funner scenes because like Jack's throwing bowling balls at him. He's blasting them like he's destroying like. Ian Pasco does not care. He's just blowing everything up in yeah. his bowling. <laughs> and and we get to uh we do get a scene here where he you know he's he's talking to Jack while he's shooting stuff and he mentions his motivation because we as a viewer are worried as to why he's doing this and again what he says is I am the greatest killer in history. Yes. Uh, that's so why. I should, so I should kill the greatest actress in history. Yeah. That's basically his point. A little bit later he'll revise that to say also I want to kill the president. <laughs> right. <laughs> But for what reasons, for what purpose, we'll, we'll never know. Yeah. But I like that right after this, Jack leaves yeah, the bowling alley. Yeah, runs out. Yeah. And the cop's there, and he's like, hey, what what are you doing? And he's like, oh, nothing. He's like, well, let's go back in. So they go in and just see all the, like, horrendous damage that's happened. And the dead paparazzi. <laughs> yeah. And, like, then Dr. Detective Nolte basically uh, arrests Logan. I mean, Logan has to punch him in the face first to uh, make a point. Yeah. But well, they have a scene where, like, he punches Jack, and then Jack punches him harder. And you're like, oh, I guess he's tougher. Exactly. Logan's dragged off to jail, where he's immediately bailed out of prison by Rita's lawyer. And as he's being escorted out of prison, Rita's lawyer's like, hey, FYI, I'm actually Pasco to fake mask again, bailing you out. Yeah, so here's the thing. I actually thought half of this was really good. I like the idea of using the morph mask to get through the police and to get to Jack. But then why would you ever bail him out? Your only problem in time right now is having Jack chase you. He's in jail. They've taken they've taken a care for you. Why would you go and get him out? Ian Pasco says very specifically he wants Logan to be free so that he can see him kill Rita. It's very important to him that Jack watch him. <laughs> Okay, sure. Ian's got a lot of very specific things he wants, but he can't explain why. I have to say, though, uh, we're coming up to a scene. I don't know if it's next. I'm, it's it, it's not a next scene, one of the next scenes, where something that happens in these shows that almost never happens, and it was a real problem when we watched Kolchak, which is the team-up. Mm-hmm. And they almost give you it in this show. And I was like, because they, again, they have a team of four core people in this show. Two of them never have anything to do. That's the, the dude who looks at newspapers and the guy from that 70s show who looks over his shoulder as he looks at newspapers. They have nothing to do. And then you have Claire, uh, the other detective, who kind of like sometimes has like banter with, with Jack, but also doesn't have that much to do, slightly more than them. But now they're going to send her to the past, which is like, this makes way more sense. I know. I was also like finally giving the other time cops something to do. And they sent her back in time to warn Jack that this Detective Nolte is the real stalker from the past. Um, and like, can I can I mention one quick thing though? They sent her back into the past, and I'm assuming she's used the machines named. I'm sorry. What's the machine they they go through? It gives them information in their brain. The subliminator. That's right, the subliminator. I assume she went through this process as well because she's a big advocate of it. But she comes back to the past somehow has a car, and decides she's going to use. But then she doesn't know how to drive a car. <laughs> It's like it's like a scene. It's not even a scene. It's like the end of the scene. The joke is like she doesn't know how to use this the stick. But I'm like, but why would she? Why would she get in that car then? Or why wouldn't she have question. that information? Anyways, it's it's played for laughs, but it's literally the end of a scene. Just as she can drive off, you're like, isn't it funny? She doesn't know how to use the clutch. 
Yeah, I mean, she comes back to give this warning, and then that she kind of gets put to work, I guess, in which by which I mean, they she goes to check out this Detective Nolte by showing up and like flirting with him at work, and he likes to be flirted with, so he leaves her in his office alone, allowing her to go through his desk and start fiddling with his gun. Yeah, isn't it the worst that you finally bring the female lead out to do something, and what she has to do is like use her like feminine wiles to get what she needs it's just so dumb i mean it's this episode and the next episode and the next episode i know anyway logan meanwhile he's taking rita to set because she's been called in for a for a shoot that day and when he gets there the 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 person at the door to set's just like you can't come in the studio it's it's a closed set today and jack's like no problem he turns around looks at his feet and at literally at his feet where he's standing is a call sheet that says quote no filming today. <laughs> I had a couple I had a couple problems with this. One, there's no way that she wouldn't know when she was filming. I'm just saying. That wouldn't happen. You wouldn't add an extra day without her and her agent knowing. And then also, why are they putting a call sheet out for a day they're not filming? I know. And the, I, it's just so funny. And it's literally like at his feet. Like the moment he turns around, yeah. the door closes. He just looks down and sees no filming today. <laughs> Do you think is that is that a little inside baseball though for the audience to say like do do most people know what a call sheet is is that a thing? I think I think they're just like it was an easy. I don't think it was inside baseball. I think they're just like how do we get across this? And they're like people if people don't know what a call sheet is, they'll at least know it says no filming today in right. large letters. <laughs> Understood. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which just causes Jack to turn around, walk into the sound studio he just walked away from. He finds that Rita has already been locked into an electric chair, which I guess they're using for the climax of the film. Another point to this. So let's let's do Rita's day. She gets a call, says, you're going into film tomorrow. She goes, oh, I never heard about filming. They're like, don't worry, you're filming tomorrow. It's your big scene. And she should say, you mean the scene we've already scheduled for next week? And he would say, yes, you're now apparently filming that tomorrow. She'd go, okay. She comes to set. There's no makeup there. There's no hair there. Get right There's in no the grips. We're doing There's blocking no right away. There's no camera. Nothing's around. Nothing's set up. Someone is apparently there and says, come on through, sit down in this prop chair and we're going to start filming, but there's no one around. I don't understand this at all. It do- I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just like, she's somehow locked into this electric chair again and you're already worried for her. Then, <laughs> yeah, you're very worried. Detective Nolte steps out of nowhere and he's just like, I'm here too and I'm a stalker. Knocks, n- knocks Logan out as he's trying to uh, like get Reed out of the electrical chair. And then this is where he explains to Rita. He's like, oh, by the way, I'm the one who killed all your boyfriends. Yeah. And it's like, you're like, oh, okay. That makes sense. And then also out of nowhere, Hemming steps out of a corner, (laughs) wakes Jack up off the ground so they can go confront Detective Nolte standing next to Rita. And as they do that, Pasco then steps out of another corner of the soundstage. Yeah. So like, what? Like, it's so funny. Logan goes in. Nolte appears. He gets knocked out. Hemmings appears. They get back up. Pasco appears. It's just like all these characters just start arriving for no reason. And Pasco, of course, reveals he's like, I strapped Reed into electric chair because I'm going to be the one who kills her. Kills her for dead. He's like, and you know how I'm going to do it? And I'm like, you're, well, you're obviously going to electrocute her. He's like, no, look up. I've strapped a, I've strapped a actual safe above her head like an Acme cartoon that I'm going to drop I on know. her noggin. He's Wiley Coyote. I, it's so crazy. It's so But I do love I laughed at the same thing. You've established it's an electric chair. That she's trapped in. But it, that's not how she's going to die. It's just a convenient way to strap someone in. 
I was so funny. And I honestly, I this is the point where I'm just like, you guys should just really lean into this because this is like National Lampoon level of like bizarreness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it is it's just yeah. And I, like l- l- someone knows at this point that they're they're making a cartoon. That's what this show is. Yeah, yeah. It's a mad magazine about something. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nolte's annoyed. Detective Nolte's annoyed because he wants to be the one to kill her. So he pulls out his gun and just, like, shoots her in the head immediately. But, I was really impressed by that. Yeah. But but Claire has, like, good, bad, and ugly uh, the gun and has taken out the bullet. So he didn't check. So he can't. There's nothing in the gun. I, it was my favorite scene. It's just like, you think you're going to kill her first? And he just pulls his gun and immediately shoots her in the face. I was like, whoa, he really went for it. Uh, Pasco, of course, then lasers Nolte to death. He's like, well, I'm going to shoot you with my laser. I, I, We've only seen the lasers used a little bit. But did you notice when he shoots the detective's laser and it hits him, the detective's clothing goes like x-ray see-through for a second. So you just see his bare chest for a quick second. And then his clothes come back and he dies. I was just like... I don't understand how this laser works. Why did yeah, they make his clothes see through? It, it was the same thing happened when they shot the paparazzi. The same thing. It was the same effect. Um, but we've seen it when it hits other objects that I assume are not skin. It They're, just seems to blow them up. Yeah, yeah. It was very weird. I was also trying to think of shooting that scene. Does that mean that they shot that plate one time with him with his clothes on and then they're like all right uh, take all your clothes off we're gonna shoot you completely naked standing there because we need this effect where your clothes melt for a quick second and come back i think i think you're half right i think they shot the plate but it's one person's chest they're gonna use for everybody oh good 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 yeah anyway he's dead and logan uses the distraction to untie a rope that's attached to sandbags in the ceiling so he can like Swing. Fly up like a 1930s swashbuckling uh, adventure and land Luke, in the rafters. How many times have we seen this? The swinging. It's at least our third or fourth time where we've had to have the star do this swashbuckling um, uh, Errol Flynn sort of swing. Well, you'll notice too, when it happened, uh, the last time I remember on Ottoman, it was also at a film studio. So if you're at a film That's studio, right. That's right. they're just like sandbags are tied to ropes on the roof for no reason. <laughs> but don't, isn't it funny though that you have to remember the people making this show work in film. They know what it actually looks like, not this this fictionalized version of it. But they are giving us the Looney Tunes version of what sets are like. I'm like, but you're doing that on a real set. <laughs> Why not, Jordan? This is what the, this is what the audiences want. This is what they crave. Yeah, there's just sandbags up in the rafters. I'm like, is there? I'm gonna grab this rope, untie, I'm gonna <laughs> swing up to the roof. He gets up there. He's, like, running because there's, like, a laser that's, like, burning a rope that's going to drop the safe. That's right. You, you, for, you forgot to mention that the way he's going to drop the safe, he's also decided he's set up some sort of apparatus that is burning the rope. That's how he's going to do it. And Jake Jack runs across. He's going to stop it. Somehow, like, Jake, like, flew up there on a rope, but also Pasco's able to climb a ladder, and he's up there in, like, th- two seconds anyway. It took him no time. They, like, fight on the catwalk. Pasco gets thrown off the catwalk and knocked knocked unconscious on the ground. Jake knocks the laser out. Rita's saved. And not only has he saved Rita, they've also captured Pasco because he's unconscious on the ground. So Pasco gets to be arrested as well. Yeah. And then we go, like, really quickly, they sort of wrap things up, which is, like, Rita tells Jack how much she likes him. He's like, sorry, babe, I got to go. They, like, kiss. Yeah, he's got a job out of town. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, that's two to three episodes where he's kissed the, the lady from the past, which seems inappropriate. Um, then we cut to... Quickly, uh, Rita and Jack, not Rita and Jack, Claire and Jack are watching one of Rita's movies. The one she the was movie, shooting at the time. 
Yeah, and they see and they like the ending, and the movie has a very dark ending of her getting killed. And then they're eating pop- popcorn, and Jack is very pleased because he sees somehow, in a bizarre way that I don't know how it would work in this world, the movie is dedicated to Jack. So let me just ask you, the actress had this traumatic thing happen where she found a stalker and stuff. So she said to the director and the producers, I would like to dedicate this movie to this guy, Jack. And they would say, no. No, they're like, yes, where would you like the dedication? She's like, as soon as the movie ends, the first thing you see is dedicated to Jack Logan. They're like, I'm sorry, uh, union rules say that the director has to have their name first. She's like, no, it says dedicated to Jack. (laughs) (laughs) She's that powerful, man. She's She's that that powerful. powerful. And it was just like, it's one of those things where like, I get it's a funny kind of silly scene, but it's also like, doesn't this raise questions of history that people have been wondering who this Jack is? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Then we get to see Pascal, Pascal, Pasco, Pasco, Pasco. It's not a good name. It's like Bosco. Um, Pasco is in like a um, he's in time jail. He's in time jail. No, no, they have a name for it. Temporal detention facility is what they right. call it. Um, anyways, he's there. It's like a big white room. It's actually pretty spacious, but it's like a fishbowl. It's got glass all around so you can see him and like observe, I suppose. But he seems to have like a bed and a couch and a desk. Like he's, it's pretty roomy. Yeah, and he's, he's also watching the same movie and he says, ah, I like my ending better. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the episode. Well, Jordan, let's move on to the next one. Here's the IMDb summary for episode four, Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no summary available. Yeah, fair enough. I, I know. Did, what I did get one though, Jordan, don't worry, from Wikipedia. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't don't move on yet. You want to hear this, don't you? Yeah, I do. You've let Pasco get to you, Logan. He wanted me to catch him in 1956. That's the only way he could travel back here and get his watch. I suppose biting it off that guard's thumb was just part of his grand scheme. He just did what he needed to do to bypass security. I'm telling you, he's got a plan. Don't put him on a pedestal. He's just another temporal sleaze. This thing. one's different. No, you just think he is. Jack, you're the best I got. But I can't afford to have this guy do a shake and bake with your head. Ian Pasco escapes from his cell and kidnaps Hemmings to ransom her for his time watch, demanding that Logan meet him with it in 1928 Chicago, where Al Capone and Elliot Ness also become involved. Now, weren't you a little disappointed they were continuing this serialization? I just, I don't want it for the show. I don't want serialization at all. I thought it was insane that they went like, pilot, establish a long-running villain, second episode... You know, standalone, and the next two episodes are like all serialization. Like, so I'm like, I'm like, it's so confusing to like go no serialization and then all serialization so hard. Yeah, I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. I have a feeling for episode five, Pas- Pasco won't be the villain. Yeah, I think they'll go back to that too. But it was just, it was such an odd choice to be like, yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out either. I was, I, I thought it was very strange. So we find out uh, that Pasco, I guess, has lung problems because he needs. Uh, a puffer at all times which you knew was going to be even for a show this dumb you knew was going to be a plot point because it was just it was too um in your face like he's constantly smoking a puffer or not smoking using an inhaler um over and over and over and you're like i guess this is going to be something yeah it's i mean it's picking up right where the last episode left off pasco's in time jail a psychiatrist is coming by to evaluate him um except that pasco received a letter while he was in time jail yeah, it was. This was done so weirdly because it's like confusing. They're like, "You got a letter. Who's the letter from?" And I was like, "But you would have seen it come in." But then we see that the letter has been uh, uh, cut for like confidentiality. Like little holes have been cut out of the paper. Who did that? Did he do that? I think Pasco's like, "I cut all these holes out of it." But they're like, the, the 
psychiatrist's point, I was like, but the letter was gibberish to begin with. Like, it didn't mean anything. Yeah. And we just want to know, know why you got it. And he's like, I'll show you why I got it. He crumples it into a ball. It's not one of those future papers that uncrumples itself. <laughs> <laughs> Shoves it into a glass of water because the ink is treated with ammonium nitrate, which causes a big poisonous smoke cloud to come out so he can puff on his inhaler and survive yeah, some- it. Somehow the inhaler is a way for him to not be affected by the toxins of the fumes, so that knocks everyone else out, and he's able to escape. Get his because the guards like rush the jail cell. He gets out, and and basically it's just to get Pascal out of time jail very quickly. He got a weird letter that is actually a poison bomb, and now he's free. Now, hey, I, I'm not an American, so I, I don't know my amendments as well as they do. He mentions at one point that he gave the idea of the Fifth Amendment to Thomas Jefferson, which is the Fifth Amendment. Is I that the uh, couldn't tell I, you. Is that the one where you don't um, you don't say anything that could incriminate you? Is that the Fifth Amendment? I should really look that up. Let's find out. Yes, refuse to uh, answer any question that might incriminate them. He says that, but I don't know if that works in the context of this scene. Yeah, he's like he's like I came up with the Fifth Amendment. I'm like okay, but that doesn't have anything to do with what's happening. Well, it's so weird because they're like, and that's part of why he was able to get the letter because of his Fifth, like all this stuff. And I'm just like, you're in a top secret government time jail. Believe me, you have no rights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, he gets out. This becomes a code red, as they call it, in uh, in Time World, Time Cop World, because Pasco's escaped. And Jack, we've learned, is angry. And I think this is the first time we've learned that, like, I think what they're leaning into is, like, he's obsessed with catching Pasco. Like, it's like, they're really arch enemies. I'm like, but I don't know if they've had that that much um, uh, anger between them. Like, I know he's been trying to catch him, but it's not like he murdered Jack's wife or something, you know? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Like, I mean, they're just, they're just, they're arch nemesises, but there's no reason for it. Right, yeah. Um, and I love it because they're like, well, we do have a scan of the letter he got. Maybe we should look at that for clues. And I'm just like, you locked up a super criminal from the future who, as soon as you locked him up, like within a day, received a letter to your secret time jail. It's like, yeah. There's like you guys should have been investigating this letter from the moment you got it, but they did no investigation on the letter. Yeah, they just gave it to him. And on the letter, they find there's a seal that implies that uh, that says something about like Washington D.C. established in this year, and they're like, "That's not the year Washington D.C. was established." And they're like, "Oh, it, it's actually an address." We figured out the clue, and the address is to <laughs> Hemming's house. We better warn her. Yeah. He's just like uh, again. It's hard to describe how fast this stuff sort of happens. Like they just go information information and you're like but in the end it doesn't really matter because you're just supposed to sit and let it wash over you yeah yeah it's just it's all happening so quickly and they're like call hemming and warn her and they call her they all have video phones in the future so they're calling her on video phone oh i love the video phone wasn't that great they call her and they get her voicemail but what happens is on the screen she comes up and it's like it's like watching someone on zoom or skype or something she's just like hey i can't come to the phone right now leave a message and i love that idea of the technology like voicemails would be exactly the same but we, we get to see the person saying they're unavailable. I loved it. Yeah, that made me laugh too. And she's unavailable because they can't reach her on her cell phone. She's underground parking in the parking <laughs> parkade of the Time Cops facility. So she's at work. <laughs> what I did like is everyone drives electric cars in 2007. I was just like, if only Time Cop, if only we got that far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she parks her car. She gets out. And Pasco is in the trunk of her car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... Again, it's it's because it's like they're always at all times. They're swimming away from a shark. This show, they're always in a rush. So they're just like, don't worry about it. He's in the back of her car. You're like, but that that's raises a lot of questions. Like, don't worry about it. It's done. It's done. He takes her hostage. They go into Time Cops HQ. 
he's just like you give me back my time traveling pocket watch that you took for me in the pilot and i will give her back but first send me to chicago 1928 that's where we're gonna meet for the exchange yeah and i like there's a whole thing like you missed the scene where i guess they like strap them in and stuff and yeah, like, yeah we don't see, back see of all of that yeah actually so we do the, we do see them stra- we do see them in the we, in, in the thing, but we just we missed the scene before where like right, right. they get in and like are get their helmets and whatever and go through it. Uh, it uh, none of it matters. We pop to Chicago, nineteen twenty eight, and we get to find out that uh, Ian Pasco created the man we know as Al Capone. He was just some 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 schlub before, but yeah, played by John Capolis. He introduced Capone to bootlegging and basically made him the man he became, and hence. Al Capone is under Pasco's thumb. It's weird because, yeah, there's this weird dynamic they're trying to establish, which is Al Capone, a famous figure from history, a a famous powerful mobster. He's not that powerful when it comes to his relationship with Pasco because he feels what indebted to him. But I'm like, but it doesn't I don't know why that that would still last. Like, so it's like, oh, you help me establish what i am it's like but why would he have to act so subservient it's you would think he'd be like yeah great you help me i'm the big guy now go away yeah yeah it doesn't really make sense it does feel like why wouldn't you just murder this guy then yeah but they because he's like very um uh uh uh, not cruel to him but it's like he he bullies al capone al capone just takes it for reasons yeah yeah turns out al capone was very easily bullied yeah Anyway, uh, Logan goes and gets the watch out of the vault so he can like do the trade. And there's like a weird thing. Steal, where steals the clothes from the dead guy. Steals the clothes from the dead. And there's a weird moment where they're like, I had to wake up a senator to get approval to get this. And he says, don't mess it up. And I'm like, you had to wake up a senator to get the thing out of the t- I don't understand how this yeah, they, works. They mentioned that things get like time, specific time things they pick up, like time objects, get put in a very specific high security lock. Mm-hmm. And to be able to get it, you need to go through some bureaucracy and the bureaucracy is uh several levels and i guess it goes up to the senate to be able to access this thing but it's like there it's not really world building it's just a weird line of dialogue yeah, it's very weird especially like it's just like and he says if you mess this up he won't he won't let you take anything out again like that's the only consequence yeah <laughs> yeah jack heads to 1928 he goes to union station at midnight to do the exchange for hemmings and of course you know Classic, classic swap scene, right? Where they're like, uh, I've got the watch. And like Jack recruits some bag guys. It's like, and that guy will walk it over to you and you hand it off. But yeah. before the handoff can happen, Elliot Ness jumps out of a chair and tries to arrest Al Capone. And basically, you know, it's the whole thing goes awry. Logan and Ian are, Logan and Jack, Jack are fighting. It all goes wrong, basically. Now, uh, this this scene here and it uh, really sort of established something for me and I think it they kind of lean into it through the end of um through the run of the as rest of the episode they're really trying to be the untouchables right because oh. there's a lot of there's a lot of even this even scene is shot in that way of that sort of like the end of that movie with the the baby carriage running down the stairs and the close-ups of the wheels and the slow-mo they almost do a replication of that here Jordan if you're not sure about that at least two, maybe three lines of dialogue are. I know. He thinks he's untouchable. What if I were untouchable? Like, they literally say that line out loud several but, times. But it's so bizarre because it's not even... You would think it'd be more of a winky thing, but it's not really. It's just like, we're just going to mention it. They, they want to drive that. it home to you. This is a this is an homage to the untouchable. Yeah. Which I think wasn't that scene in The Untouchables, the, the going down the stairs. That was an homage to that Russian movie, right? Wasn't it? Oh, Anyways, I guess so. Matter. Yeah, Potemkin, Battleship. That's Potemkin. right. That's right. Yeah, 
nerds. <laughs> My favorite part about this episode is that when Elias Ness is revealed, it's like literally played by uh, fairly a, Ron, I, an actor I love, Ron, Ron Livingston. Livingston. Yeah. And it's so bizarre to see him in this show because he's like a in my opinion a quite talented actor uh who's been in some like legendary Mm. stuff and he just pops up as this like small character which is even more bizarre because the relationship he has with logan for the episode is like big brother little brother Mm -hmm. where logan's teaching him about police work and logan kind of treats him like he's a loser and he's and like but not only Logan, the show treats him like he's a loser. He's and I not, wasn't sure yeah. to what effect. They sort of have him come out and instead of being like, uh, he's sort of green and uh, ag- sort of aggressive. They do kind of mention that. But it's more that he's like a bumbling fool. And I didn't know why that was the reason. Yeah, it's I, they sort of say in the line, just like he's quite young is the idea. But he looks the identical age to Jack Logan. So yeah. it's so weird watching Jack like be the big brother in this especially when like and you know jack the actor playing jack logan i think is doing exactly what this character in the show is supposed to be doing just like handsome leading man but he's Teeth. acting against like a guy who's like like it's just so bizarre like it makes the whole thing so bizarre to watch just like i'm like we're supposed to think that ron livingston is a worse version of jack logan yeah yeah, and it's like they play it out through multiple scenes. Like it doesn't really matter. They're, they have this running joke that Jack keeps making him pay for things, and I thought it was going to be a thing because he actually didn't have the money. But it's just like he's teaching him how to deal with stuff in the nineteen twenties. He's a rookie. He's got to pay. It's like it's just stupid. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Logan is like perpetually like the first thing they do is they're like, let's find out more about what's going on now that you've blown my my trade off, and they go talk to like a shoe shine guy there who knows all the gossip and like. Mm-hmm. Jack like shows me this is how you get information from the streets, and I'm just like, how would you know any of this, Jack? You're not even from this time period. Um, and I'm gonna uh, mention something that's maybe an uncomfortable thing. Is this our first character, uh, like person of color in four be. episodes? It very much might be. Yeah, and they're a shoe shiner. What they yep. learn is that Logan, or sorry, what they learn is that Pasco, whenever he comes back to this time period, once a year or so, he always goes and hangs out at speakeasies, and people know him as the traveler. So. Ness I thought it was like, the tourist. Oh, maybe it's the tourist. I think it's the tourist. And the Ness is like, well, I have memorized all the names of the speakeasies in Chicago. And he starts railing off like a list of names of speakeasies. And when he says one of them is called the TikTok, TikTok Club. Yeah. Jack's like, well, that's where he's going because it's a time pun. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but that's the show. You're just like. That's it. They they just don't have time. They're, this show's not about investigating and figuring stuff out. They're just like, makes sense. Well, I, truly, like they're like Pasco's whole character trait is like if it's anything to do with like a time pun, that's where he's going to be. Yeah, and he is. They go to the they go to the speakeasy. Logan tells Ness to wait in the car because he's a cop and he'll never get into the speakeasy. Not like Logan, who looks so smooth and of the time period, he'll get lit in no problem. Yeah, that was the thing, right? Because you don't actually see him getting into the club, but they have this scene earlier where he's like, "You can't get in because you're a cop," and he's like, "Yeah, you're right." And then we just have Jack in, and so they imply. That Jack and just again, he sort of seamlessly blends into his surroundings. But I'm like, does he though? He's a man with spiky, greasy hair from the '90s. He certainly yeah. does not blend into any like 1920s surroundings. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he goes in. He finds Pasco. Pasco's there with Hemmings. They're watching a, a j- some jazz singers or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and there's a line here. Jack, uh, not Jack, uh, Pasco does a line here, and what it reminded me of is, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. We watched that show where the, the, the guy can imagine up the robot that eats cars, the yes. dinosaur. The, and there's a almost very, very similar line in this episode to that show, which is that the um, magical man in that show, he's like, I saw this happen, and the pyramids get built, and I saw this. And it's sort of trying to establish that he's this watcher-type person who's been around for so long. And they do the exact same thing with Pasco, where he's like, you wouldn't believe what I've seen. I've seen this, and this, and this, and this. And it just was so eerie how similar that was articulated. Yeah, it's he's trying to show Logan that he is like a much bigger threat than he realized because he's he's seen dinosaurs like he saw he saw t-rex bite a dinosaur or some you know something like that he's seen like the walls of jericho fall and he's like gone to the future and watched the world end like he's seen it all basically and so he's a much bigger bad than like jack realizes basically right but he's but he's angry at him anyways it's like we didn't need this because jack already has this grudge with him for reasons yeah at any rate, Jack does the swap. He gives him the watch. He gets Hemmings back. And unfortunately for Pasco, he's not very, like, good at doing a, I guess, a swap, doing one of these, like, criminal swaps. Because he steps outside the TikTok club, looks at the watch, and it says, Detective Ellie's Nets's watch on it. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, you think when they gave the swap, he'd look and open the watch and be like, this is not mine. Yeah, yeah. I, this doesn't do time travel. I can tell right away. Yeah. It doesn't look the same. It's clearly a different watch. But he's left the club already, so he can't go back in. Thankfully, though, Elliot Ness is outside, and he's just like pulls out a gun. He's like, "I'm arresting you!" And uh, Logan's like, or Pasco's is like, "Great, you're my hostage now. Let's go." Yeah, he he pulls a gun on him. He's like, "You're under arrest," and he's basically like, "Nope." And he knocks the gun out of his hand. He's like, "No, you're under arrest." I was like, "Oh, okay." So nothing has changed. Basically, what was Hemmings had been the hostage before, and now it's just Elliot Ness's Pasco's hostage, and they still need to swap this stupid watch. But again, the the hostages to no effect. You know oh, what I mean, like dragging, it, it, dragging the show forward. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. There's no consequences at all of any of these kidnappings. Well, it, the whole thing is just like they don't want Hemmings to get killed because he's a character. And now it's like, well, we can't let Ellen S get killed because he's whatever. It's just driving the show forward, whatever. Yeah. Hemmings at this point is like, well, we have to figure out where Pasco's taking Ness. So she goes back to Capone, the man who is holding her hostage, and does a whole scene where she also seduces him. <laughs> Yeah, because she's a woman. Um, and anyway, that gets Capone to like tell her, oh, yeah, his secret hideout is a clock shop because time. time. Yeah, that and that's the information. She was like, they're basically sweet talk him and he'll drop the information as to where he would go, where his secret place is. And that's what that scene is about. Yeah, yeah. they drive over with uh, Capone to the clock shop and then to get pasco to like come out of the clock shop they just hold the horn down on the car and pasco's like who's making all that racket out he literally just walk like it's the most obvious trap that he just walks outside he's just like what's all the racket out here luke in that way i'm more like pasco because i would have done that if i'm sitting there and trying to do work and someone's just laying on the horn i had to come out and be like what's happening <laughs> stop <laughs> he doesn't expect anything they step outside of course uh logan and hemmings now have tommy guns so they're like we got yeah. you pasco yeah but Capone interferes. He, like, jumps at one of them. He pu- he Pas- pushes the car door open and it knocks uh, Claire over. Yeah, yeah. Pasco runs away per usual and Jack has to chase after him. Yeah. It's it's a way to separate everyone is what it basically is. So Pasco go, uh, runs away. You have um, Jack chase him. And then we get a quick scene where uh, Claire beats up Al Capone. So you know she's not just a damsel in distress. She's actually 
pretty cool. Yeah, but you know it, Jordan. You know she's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Logan and Jack end up fighting on the side of a building on a fire escape, per usual. They're always fighting on the side of something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the fight, Logan somehow drops the time-traveling pocket watch. It falls to the ground on the, like, you know, several stories below, opens up, and, like, opens a time portal. Like, a, yeah. one of these time holes opens up. Pasco falls off the side of the building through the time hole to escape and for whatever reason the watch is also pulled through the time hole it's just like you get a cut seeing it get for yeah. some reason pulled in and logan has escaped or pasco's escaped again and i was shocked i thought for sure they were going to wrap up this pasco story but like i did just, too i'm just like oh and he's just gone again i'm like this this nothing happened this episode yeah well, that was the thing. The whole point of this episode is sort of like a continuation of the last one, which is like, now we're going to catch him after all these dastardly deeds. But it's like, nope, we're just going to keep him going because we're going to bring him back in a couple episodes. He's just back and gone again. And then Logan goes back to Hemming. She's free. He's free. She's freed or what? I don't know. Whatever. Ness is back. Elliot Ness has been saved. They're standing over Capone's body and they're like, he's like, I can't arrest him. He's unconscious. He hasn't done anything wrong. You're the ones who kidnapped him. And so Logan turns to him and says, let me give you a little hint how to speed run this level of your life. Just go to the IRS. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. It was very um, like Star Trek Four, where they're like explaining to the guys about what well, I can't remember what it was, but it was Scotty and Bones are explaining to the people the technology. They're like, because they just needed it. And it was like kind of funny in that because you didn't have to worry about the consequences. But it is. I like they're just like, yeah, here, uh, IRS. I'm like, so you guys are just as bad as the villains. Yeah, and these in in these that are going back in time, you're just altering history. Absolutely, they'll be like, "Oh well, two weeks from now, he was going to figure it out anyway." But we just told him IRS, it's fine. Yeah, and then they head back to 2007, and like they're like, "Well, I guess Pasco's still in the loose." Yeah, he's basically he like vows to catch him. Yeah, yeah. There is a, a B plot, not really a B plot, but like a, a subplot going on that I haven't talked about, which we can kind of cover now because it's all tied together, and it's what's happening with the chief. And the historian back in 2007, kind of what they're up to. Mm-hmm. And because Pasco got that strange letter that they never investigated coming to prison, they sort of look into like, where did this, where did this letter come from? And I mean, to oh, be that's fair, right. that's right. When Pasco shows at the police station, he like very clearly gives them the answer. Like he, the, he gives a hint. He's just like, yeah, I got that letter 13 years in the making. And I'm like, oh, it's his young self, his, his 13 year old yeah. self from 2017. And they, Eventually, these two figured out. They're like, oh, it must have come from his 13-year-old self in 2007, which they're like, how did that happen? That's insane that that happened. And they start looking into newspaper clippings from Chicago, and they start seeing that, like, there's photos of Pasco hanging out with Al Capone. They're like, that's weird. Shouldn't that have triggered a time ripple? And they start looking at all of these events. Like, they just start looking at newspaper photos of every important event from history. And Pasco is in all of them. Yeah. And they can't figure out because, again, in, in this world, when uh, something is changing in time or something is altering the timeline, they, they call it a ripple. So they're they're confused as to why they're not getting ripples because he's clearly been traveling way more than they can track. Yeah. And basically they have what I think is the most interesting idea of the show, which I know it's completely incapable of pulling off. But what they're basically put together and they say out loud, it's just like we can't even like. Because they're like, maybe we should send people back to all these periods to stop him. And they're like, and the historian's like, we can't. Like, Pasco actually has shaped and created the entire history to 2007. Like, he's too integrated into the timeline. Yes. 
he is he is he's affected all the outcomes that led us to where we are today. Yes, yes. The history we have now is because of Pascal. So we can't adjust it because to take him out is actually to take our change our what our world is. So, it is an like, interesting idea. So drastically, and I was just like. What an interesting concept. Uh, that's why I was waiting. I'm like, okay, well, they're going to address this this episode. And then just Pasco disappears again. And I'm like, yeah. I, I was just like, this is a really interesting idea that I am like very, I'm very curious to how this works and like what you're going to do about it. But I'm just like, what a they're weird, the show's to. so weird. Like it's just out of nowhere, they just drop this line and then don't do anything to deal with it. Yeah. And then, and then that's episode. And I'll, I'll be honest, it, it it's a weak episode if not only because of that, but just because they're just like, there's no real ideas. The ideas they have, they're just like, Neh. yeah. I mean, like, let me put it this way. Like we had a whole episode where he got caught and brought back to the future and put in time, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's a real progression of this character. Like we met this arch villain. Now we've captured this arch villain. Like, what are we going to learn about him? And the next episode's like more about this arch villain, but the entire episode is just to reset the status quo of just putting him back in time. Like Agreed. nothing, technically nothing happens this episode. He just gets that watch back, which he could have just made a new watch. I know. I agree. It's, it's like a, not, not so much a standalone episode as like a coda to the previous episode where you're just like, oh, I guess the other episode could have just been a couple minutes longer and we could have just, or just don't catch that him. If, if you didn't want him to be caught at the end of the last episode, like it seems so weird for us to have a whole episode that was based around him getting the pocket watch from the pilot back. Yeah, I'm like that's, well, because again, that's it. You put him into this uh, temporal prison. Uh, why not just have him in there and have that be something? Yeah, I where thought... he's like controlling stuff from in there. I, who knows? Or like, yeah, like make him your Hannibal Lecter. You go visit him to talk about time criminals, or like your what's that show? Blacklist with what's his face yeah. in a in a hat. Yeah, what's his face? Uh, Fast Times at Richmond High guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's, it's such an it was such an odd episode. Judge Reinhold. No, that's not right, is it? Isn't it Judge Reinhold? Blacklist, the one with the criminal mastermind in a hat they're talking to. What's that what's that show? Yeah, yeah, isn't it Judge Reinhold? Isn't Judge Reinhold dead? Am I am I hold on. No, it's the guy from like Sex Lies and Videotapes. Yeah, wasn't it Oh, James Spader. Who's Judge Reinhold? Judge Reinhold, isn't he uh the part isn't he like uh, Eddie Murphy's buddy in those cop movies? <laughs> Beverly Hills cop? Why did I think it was Judge Reinhold? Oh, yeah, I've mixed those two people up. They're two different people. Anyway. I'm glad we got to the bottom of it. <laughs> well, we cut this out. <laughs> people are going to love it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's those two episodes. I mean, I'll give this to Time Cop. It is nothing if not perpetually baffling. It, it is. It's you're, you're not really sure what to make of everything. But, again, it's you sort of nailed it. This is This encompasses a very specific time period in television. Uh that is hard to replicate and it has its own sort of tone and its own sort of um, feeling to it. And it's it's just very late 90s, uh, TV-friendly, action, fun shows that are meant to be fluff and meant to just, just you sit down and it, it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's rate them. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Well, what do you? What would you give the first episode uh, of this like two-parter, Stalker? The very authentic take on 1950s Hollywood. Honestly, um, Stalker was like, it was not much to live to go by. I don't know. I didn't care. Like there was just it was a boring episode. I found. Yeah. Even. Yeah, I don't know. It just like, stop. I don't know. 
I'm gonna give it a two. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm pretty close to you. I think it's uh yeah, it was weirdly maybe the most boring of the episodes. Um, and it just was like it just kind of happened. I'm gonna give it a three out of ten. I think it would have been better if Rita Lake had been an actual celebrity uh, that we could have at least watch them like butcher their legacy. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I guess they were going for like a Rita Hayworth. Was that what it was supposed to be? Something like that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then there's Public Enemy. I actually think this is a worse episode because, again, it's not even a real episode. I'm going to be forgiving on it. I'm going to give it a two and a half, and I think that's forgiving. It just is It's bad. Here's what I'll say. It is a worse episode plot-wise and like what it means. to like. It all mm-hmm. feels like there's no reason. But I will say there are like a couple things that I, like the Pasco guy is just – absolutely chewing the scenery in this episode they just let mm-hmm. him loose and it's so bizarre to watch like i don't know what he's doing but he's just like he's really swinging for the fences for no reason and i really liked when they're like pasco is like i like the idea they introduced that pasco is from all they, he's he's like that introduction he is I'm history like, this villain is now much more interesting to me but like why aren't we doing anything with him so i'm gonna be i think so as a result i was more interested in this episode because it was more mm. baffling to me but it was, I think, it, I think technically is a worse episode than the last one. But I, I'm going to go slightly higher and give it a three. Right. Well, we're we're, uh, we're pretty close to each other though, because these are not good scores. No, I mean, this is a bad show. This is a bad show. No, here's the thing. There's been shows we've watched that are probably technically better, um, and are there's more to kind of chew on, and there's some more ideas. Again, this this show is nailing what it wants to be. It's just that what it wants to be is a, is a quite dumb show. I think sometimes when I watch it, I'm like, if someone was in the right mood, this would probably be kind of fun and funny and stupid to watch. But I just like, I'm not sure. It's they're always not quite. They don't quite get there. It's not quite campy yeah. enough. No, I, that's what I mean. It's like if they're gonna go for it, just go for it. Like little square CDs and silly little things like. Just make it as it should be an off the wall. It's a science fiction show. You can do anything you want. It's time travel. If you guys don't care about your time travel rules, be Bill and Ted. Who cares? Make it fun. Yeah, something, something about it. I, I, yeah, your results may vary on this one. I don't know what to do yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that wraps it up, though, eh, Jordan? Mm-hmm. I think we've probably d- destroyed the show enough. Uh, so, listener. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at continuandrag.gmail.com. That's the email. And on Instagram and Twitter, we will have clips from these two episodes. I'm going to put up that soliloquy where he talks about all the all the, mm-hmm. all the dinosaurs you see. Yeah. I've seen the dinosaurs. I went to Mount Everest, and I don't know why that was a time thing. Watch the world's light fade away. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's why he went to Everest. That was the greatest spot for that. And, of course, we'll be back next week with more Time Cop, I think. So, uh, listener, we'll see you then. And, uh, Jordan, I'll see you next week. Yeah. Something. And, and, yeah, yeah. T- time. Time talk. Time Cop. Bye. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.